You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Benson. All right, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're going to get right into 1 Thessalonians this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you once again and we praise you and thank you that you have given us the opportunity to study your word together. God, we praise you and thank you that we have the entire complete Bible in a language that we can read and understand this morning. God, we recognize that's a privilege and opportunity that not all believers around the world have today. So God, we are, we are graciously thanking you that you have given us your word in a language that we can read and understand. So God, I pray that you would teach us this morning, that the Holy Spirit would teach us. God, that you would speak through me, that you would encourage us where we need the encouragement. You'd convict us where we need the conviction as well. Pray that you would have your hand upon our time, that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians again this morning. We're working our way through the book verse by verse. We've been camped out on verse 5 of chapter 1 for several weeks now. The goal is to finish verse 5 today and then spend however long we need to on verse 6. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 We'll read again verses 1 through 5 to set the context. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. We started off our series on 1 Thessalonians talking about how Paul has planted this church in Thessalonica. We referenced the book of Acts and we said that Paul had every intention of going somewhere else to share the gospel. He had every intention of going somewhere else to plant a church and that through a dream, God directed him to the Macedonia area. We said that he went to Philippi first. He plants the church in Philippi. Persecution causes him to have to leave Philippi and he makes his way to Thessalonica. We said in the book of Acts that he goes to the synagogue on a weekly basis and begins expounding upon the gospel. He comes with a message of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You guys need Jesus. And the people begin to respond. It's a heavy Gentile response. It's a heavy female response that we're told. And the church begins to be planted and grows. Jesus is magnified in this church. We said that a deep theological foundation of Jesus was taught by Paul during his time in this area before he leaves again because of persecution. We said this letter is him writing back to the church because Timothy... His partner in ministry has come and informed him that things are going really good at Thessalonica. And so Paul starts off this first chapter. He's praising them and commending them, but ultimately directing praise and glory to God for their growth in the faith. He says, I praise God regularly because I hear that you guys are growing in your faith. He doesn't praise them. He doesn't tell them what a great job they're doing. He tells God, I am so thankful for the job that you're doing through these people in Thessalonica. I'm so grateful and thankful that the Holy Spirit is doing what you promised. He's growing these new believers in Christ. 
And then he references back to their conversion and he says, we know you guys are saved because you responded to the gospel. You responded. The Holy Spirit came to you. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. We're going to see as we continue to move forward that these people turned from their idols and turned to Christ. They've completely embraced Christ and they are growing in their faith. We said that we're, you know, we're wanting to take this picture of what Paul's done here in Thessalonica and apply it here to Sinoi for our church plant. That we want to be faithful to preach Christ here in Sinoi. That we want to see people come to Christ through our ministry. And then we want to disciple them in the faith the same way that Paul did. These people are growing and they are maturing in the faith. Because as we see in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So he says, you're, you've grown in the faith because you've been imitating mature believers. You've been imitating us, and in, and in doing that, you're imitating Christ. And so we've been spending a heavy amount of time on the concept of discipleship and how we want our church, Sovereign Hope, to be known for discipleship. That we're, we're stopping the, the trend of people coming into a church, having a basic understanding of the gospel, a basic understanding of Jesus, and just expecting those people to figure it out on their own the rest of the way. That we want to be very intentional about discipling people in what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Christ faithfully. We defined discipleship a couple of weeks ago. It's the process of a Christian with a life worth emulating, committing himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ, the purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and to equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. That's a fancy way of saying that I want to take people in this church, Will and Jesse, spend time with Will and Jesse, pour my life into Will and Jesse, disciple them about what Scripture has to say about following Christ, but doing it in such a way that there comes a point in time where Jesse and Will can then go and do the same thing with more people. That we begin to multiply our church through the avenue of discipleship. That's the method that we're given in the New Testament. It's how the early church spread so quickly because there was a massive movement of discipleship where people were pouring into other people. We see this concept, Paul talks about it with Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust or teach that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, take, you learn from me and then you go teach it to someone else so that they can turn around and teach it to someone else. So they can teach it to someone else. That we continue to grow our church through the avenue of discipleship. We said that... In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 again, it says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That last part of verse 5 is what we've really been focusing on. You know what kind of men we prove to be, because then verse 6 says, You became imitators of us. So there's this process of, we need people to become worthy of being imitated. We need to be the type of people who were worthy in a sense that I can say, Jesse, come and follow me as I follow Christ. Because essentially what I'm saying is, Jesse, I hear you want to learn about Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm on a journey to know Jesus better, so let's take this journey together. It's not that I'm better than someone else. It's not that 
Ben is better than someone else. He's more worthy or more spiritual. It's just that Ben has made a commitment or I've made a commitment or anybody in this church makes a commitment to follow Christ. They become a person that that knows the, the word enough to where they can ask someone to then follow them as they follow Christ. I've given you a list of five things and I want to add to it. This morning, two additional things. I told you that I think it's important that we understand what does it mean when Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be. What does it mean to be a person worth imitating? What does that look like? Because what we need to recognize is, are we in the group that is worth imitating right now? Or are we in the group that's not there yet? Because the group that's not there yet needs to get there. And the group that is there needs to start getting the people that aren't there there through discipleship. So we need people in our church that are, that are worth imitating to begin pouring their lives into people so that we can all disciple. All right? So here's some things that we talked about. A person worth imitating. Who do I want to follow in discipleship? We said, number one, it's someone who knows the gospel. Someone who knows the gospel, who really understands the gospel, that Jesus is all sufficient for salvation. That it's Jesus' perfect life. It's his sacrificial death. Our good works do not contribute to our salvation. Good works come after salvation. They're an evidence of our salvation. They do not earn our salvation. Someone who knows the gospel. Someone who has a good theological understanding of Jesus. Someone who gets the concept that Jesus is God and man. And that both were necessary for him to be the perfect lamb for our salvation. Number three, someone who believes in sovereignty. The fact that God is in control and that Romans 8.28 really does come true. That he works everything for the good of his people. Because what happens is, is that we need younger believers to be able to identify with more mature believers that go through a time of suffering or difficulty in their life and respond the right way. We need people who experience loss that can communicate to a younger believer, it's okay because Jesus is enough in my life. Here's how you respond to loss. You trust in sovereignty. You trust in Romans 8, 28, that God has constructed this universe to function in a way where he gets the glory and his people get the good. Number four, submission to King Jesus. Remember, the, the Pharisees in Acts, the Pharisees go to the officials and they say, hey, you've got to put a stop to Paul and these people that are planting churches because they're teaching that we should follow another king. That we shouldn't follow Herod, we shouldn't follow, we shouldn't follow Caesar, instead we should follow another king, Jesus. That's the kind of people we need. People who say, it's more important to follow Jesus than any, than any official or any mindset that this world offers us. That what Jesus desires for us is best. Number five, a desire to learn. You don't have to be someone who's a a theologian or a scholar who knows everything about the Bible. But you have to be a person who desires to learn, who is seeking to increase their understanding of the word. I want to follow somebody who doesn't have all the answers, but who's on a journey to get all the answers. Who says, I'm not content with my knowledge about the Bible until I know it as best I can. I don't know it all, all I can right now, but I want to know. And I'm on a life journey to know more and more about God and what he wants for me. The two things that I want to add. Number six, I think it's important for us to be, if we're going to be a person that's worth imitating, we have to be the type of person that is committed to the church. 
committed to the local church. There's a strong movement right now going where, where people are, are saying, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to be disconnected from his church. But the New Testament is very clear. You can't follow Jesus the, the way that you're supposed to. You can't do a lot of the things that the New Testament commands you to do unless you're attached to a local church. You won't find church membership, the word church membership in the New Testament, but you can't get around church membership when you read the New Testament. It's just, it's just all over the pages. You're told to submit to godly leadership. Well, I need to know which leadership I'm supposed to submit to, so I need to align myself with a local church. I'm supposed to encourage believers in Christ. I'm supposed to spur them on as we wait for Jesus to come back. I'm not to forsake the assembling of myself together with other believers. It's all over the place in the New Testament. We need people who are committed to the local church, who prioritize the local church in their life and in their family's life. That when you look at the, the schedule, church takes priority. There's a commitment level there to the local church. And number seven, passionate for the lost. Passionate for the lost. Passionate for the lost. There's a, there's a desire to see the gospel go out in Sonoy, in Griffin, in Peachtree City, in Fayetteville, in Noonan, and to the ends of the earth. We want to be a church that's passionate for the lost. We want people in our church that are passionate for the lost. Whether we're serving right here in Sonoy or whether we're serving with Chris in Uganda, wherever it is, we are passionate for lost people. Seven things that I think it takes to, to be the type of person that we could say, okay, you're worth imitating. Let's put younger believers with you. Let's let long, younger believers learn from you. You're worth imitating. You've proved, like Paul says, you know what kind of men we've proved to be. We're just, we're, we're good men who love God. We're good women who love God. And we want to teach you how to do that. These are seven areas that you can personally evaluate yourself about. And say, okay, I'm not strong in these areas. I need to get stronger. Because I have a responsibility to disciple young believers. Because here's the thing we've said. We want sovereign hope to grow by adding new believers to this body. If somebody gets saved, we need to be able to pair them up with somebody and say, hey, they need more than what they're getting on Sunday morning. They need to be instructed about how to pray, how to study their Bible, how to fight sin, how to fight temptation, how to confess sin. They need to know these things. And we need to pair them up with people in our church so they can be taught. We don't want people getting saved, coming to church here at Sovereign Hope, and us just taking the approach of, hope you figure out the rest at some point in your life. We want to be intentional about it. Some things that I challenge you to remember in this is that your worth in God's eyes is not measured by how, how much you know or how effective you are at making disciples. Your, your, your worth in God's eyes is not measured by how many people you're discipling or how much you know about the word. God, God, is, God has loved you as much as he ever will before you were ever saved. It says that he sent his son while you were an enemy of his, while you were a sinner. So we don't increase God's love for us by saying, okay, I want to become a disciple. I want to disciple other people. God's going to love me more if I do this. It's an incorrect perspective. But we said that we need to be complete people that others can follow. And I think these seven things help us become the type of people to where we can say, new believer, go follow Jake. Go follow Cortland. Spend time with these people. They, they will get you on the right direction. Now that you've made the decision to follow Christ... 
We want you here on Sundays where you can learn with us, but we also want to pair you up with older, more mature believers in our church that can help direct you and answer questions and get you on the right path. Now, two weeks ago, before Rob spoke last week, two weeks ago, we were talking about, we had a roundtable discussion in that first hour of the service, and we talked about how much time should we be spending in the Word. Like, we've always been taught that we're supposed to have a quiet time, that we're supposed to study the Bible on our own, but what does that look like? How often are we supposed to be doing that? And I told you that for a lot of us, we've grown up being, kind of feeling this, this guilty feeling of, I don't ever spend as much time as I'm supposed to. And and we've gotten this mentality that if we don't spend 30 minutes or an hour or whatever in the Word each day, that we're not meeting some type of standard. And I told you that it's important that we tear down these man-made standards of what it looks like to be in God's Word. That for some of us, it's going to look different for all of us, really. Some of us are going to spend time in the Word in the morning. Some of us are going to spend time in the Word at night. Sometimes we're going to have to skip days, but we're going to spend a lot of time in the Word on some days of the week. And we said that the, the important thing that we realize is that we have to make the Word a priority, but we're not going to set these weird standards to where if you're not in the Word 30 minutes a day, then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian. Because you're just not going to find it there. What you are going to find in Scripture is that you're supposed to make the Word a priority. This is, and I was thinking about this this week. It's the same perspective that we're wanting to teach you guys about money in this church that we've been we've been raised to think that we're supposed to give 10 percent of our income and once we've done that then like we're good but you'll be hard-pressed to formulate a strong strong perspective that we're supposed to give 10 percent what you find in the new testament is we're supposed to be generous people for some of us 10 percent is not really that generous for some of us, we make, we make a certain amount of money that 10% is just not really hurting us at all. We wouldn't be known as generous by giving 10%. For some of us, that's a, that's a ton. That's a ton. That's really generous. And so we, when, we, when we talked about money, we said that the standard in this church is that we want to be generous people who demonstrate to this community that Christ is more important than money. That we don't want to get caught up in percentages. We want you to be mature. Look at your finances and say, how can I give of my finances to Sovereign Hope and for the advancement of the gospel in a way that shows that Jesus is better than money? The same perspective in our time in the Word. That we're not going to tell you, hey, you need to be 30 minutes in the Word or an hour in the Word every day. And if you're not, you need to get up earlier or stay up later. You've got to figure out how to get in the Word one hour a day or you're not cutting it. You're out of here. Like We're looking for people that are committed. That's just not the case. It's not the case in Scripture. The case in Scripture is that the Word is to be a priority in the life of a believer. So I want to, I want to expound on that a little bit today. We're, we're, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, but we're kind of branching out of that and saying, okay, what does it mean to be a person worth imitating? To be a person worth imitating, you need to be the type of person where the Word is a priority in your life. The Word is a priority in your life. In your notes, I pose two questions. Number one, Why should the word be a priority? Question number two, how can I make the word a priority? All right, so question number one, why should the word be a priority? Question number two, how can I make the word a priority? Underneath that, 
the, the main reason that the word should be a priority in your life, it's the normative, it's the normative way God communicates to his people. It's the normative way that God communicates to his people. God has communicated differently at times in different periods of redemptive history with his people. There was a strong, heavy, prophetic influence in the Old Testament where the prophets were viewed as the voice or the mouthpiece of God. That when they spoke, they were speaking, they were speaking the very, spoken, they were, <laughs> they were speaking the very words of God. That was their perspective. The prophet in the Old Testament is different than the pastor in the New Testament. Okay? We are both instructing and teaching about God, but the prophet got his message directly, directly from God to the point that people wrote it down and put it in the Bible. Okay? Different, different thing going on there in the Old Testament. Prophets speaking the very words of God. You need to evaluate everything I say every Sunday. Just like the Bereans in the, in the book of Acts says that they, they took what they heard and they measured it against scripture to make sure it was accurate. You didn't have to measure what Old Testament prophets said against the word. For one, you didn't really have the word yet because they were speaking it. They were in the process of doing that. But you didn't have to worry so much about what they were saying because it was coming directly from God. And basically, if what they said wasn't true, they were killed for it. So, I mean, it really kind of weeded itself out. Like, you knew who to listen to. Okay? God has spoken differently throughout history. Today, in the New Testament context, in the, in the church context of what we're in, he speaks through the Bible. He speaks through his word. Now, we could get into to debates and semantics about, well, what about people that, that don't have the word yet? You know, is there still certain things happening over there? Maybe. But in the context of the United States of America, where we have all 66 books in a language that we can read and understand, I promise you, it's the normative way that God communicates here. It's the normative way. If we want to hear from God, if we want direction from God for our life, it comes through the word. So it needs to be a priority because this is how God speaks to his children. Okay? Um, a couple other things that I put down in my notes before we get into um, the four things that I want to mention to you. We fail to remember that people labored to get the word into our language. You know, we've worked at times with, with one verse and with Wycliffe about translating the Bible into languages that don't have the word yet. There was a time when it, it wasn't in English. It wasn't available. And a man named William Tyndall worked really hard to make sure that we got it. He worked so hard that he died from it. He was persecuted for trying to translate the word into a language that English people could understand. Because it was during a time when only, the only people that could understand the word were, were the pastors or the, the, the bishops. And they were, they were manipulating it for their benefit. They were saying, oh, you want, you want to get your lost friends and your lost loved ones out of hell, but you can buy something. You can buy something to arrange that exchange. They were making money off of stuff that's not in the Word. And people had the people didn't know what else to do because they couldn't read it. And so when guys like William Tyndall came along and started translating it, it took the power away from the church. And I'm so thankful for that. That I can teach you guys today, you can go home and say, hey, that's what the Bible says. We're not having to listen to a man who has all the power the Holy Spirit has given you the power to know God and understand God through his word. People like William Tyndall labored to make sure that was the case for those of us that speak English. Secondly, we have great advantages 
not afforded to others that I think God's going to hold us accountable for. We live in a society where we have unbelievable resources to know God and to know what his word says that people all over this world don't have. I mean, you can get on the Internet and read and listen to stuff from all over this nation, from pastors, from teachers, from writers. We have unbelievable amount. There is no excuse for us to not be progressing in our knowledge of who God is. We've got way too many resources available to us. Okay? But some, some, some strong biblical reasons for why the Word should be a priority in your life. Number one, God expects me to grow up. God expects me to grow up. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 1, it says, For every high priest... This is, this is what Rob was teaching from last week. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The author of Hebrews begins to, to kind of work through like the high priest and what the high priest does and how Jesus is our high priest. He's after the order of Melchizedek. Then he gets down to um, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to teach you guys about this because you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The author of Hebrews says, man, I wish I could teach you about some other stuff that you really need to know, but you guys are still so young in your understanding about the Bible and about what God wants that I'm having to talk about elementary stuff that we should be well beyond. We should be beyond this stuff. And that's my challenge to us as, as we're evaluating these seven things that I've given you. Knowing the gospel, knowing who Jesus is, believing in sovereignty. We've got to get to the point where we can move beyond those things because those things should be considered basic Basic understanding is what it means to follow Christ. We need to get beyond those things because he says, you should know these things. You should be teaching other people these things. Now, it's okay if you don't know these things yet because the correct response is to say, yeah, I probably should know those things by now because I've been a Christian for a long time. So let's get caught up. Let's get caught up. If you don't, if you don't feel good about these seven things, then you need to be doing something to catch up. If that means getting with someone in this church who knows these seven things really good, you're getting caught up. Because the author of Hebrews says, you should be teaching this stuff by now. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2. So, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So the Bible tells us that God expects us to grow up in our faith. That we should be growing up to the point that we can help other people grow up. Okay? And the way that we grow up, he says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. That you may grow up into salvation. So God expects me to grow up. 
God expects me to grow up. The picture here is that you had believers who were still needing baby food, basically. Can you imagine if after church today we all, we all went out to eat and, and, and Tyson and me went out to eat with some people and you know, I got my menu out and I'm ordering stuff and Sarah were to pass Tyson his baby food? And we're like, eh, Tyson's not yet ready for like the big menu. Like he's still, you know, we still have to bring his when we eat. Like we'd be like, dude, like you got to grow up, man. Like it's time to start eating off the real menu. That's the picture that the author of Hebrews is saying. He says, man, you got to grow up. You got to get beyond this stuff so we can teach you about more stuff about God. You got to grow up in the faith. Secondly, God expects me to be stable. God expects me to be stable. In Ephesians 4.11 it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. There's that idea again. Growing up. Being mature in the faith. Knowing God through His Word. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says you need to grow up so that you can recognize false teaching. You need to know the word so that when someone starts teaching stuff that's not in the word, you recognize it. Now, part of the role of elders in this church is to protect you guys from false teaching. That's part of the role that the elder has in the, in the church. God says that the elder is the shepherd, protects the sheep from wolves. So as elders, it's our responsibility to communicate to you when false teachings are circulating. And there's plenty that are going around in mainstream Christianity right now. But there's also the personal responsibility that you have to grow up in your faith so that you're not being blown around and tossed by these doctrines before we get, get to you and explain them to you. Now, I've talked to some of you that have been deceived in the past by false teachers. And I think you're at the point now that if those same false teachers were to come back, you would recognize it immediately and say, this dude doesn't know what he's talking about. But we need to all be growing up in our faith so that we're not tossed to and fro by different doctrines. That we're stable in what we believe about the word. That we're not constantly shifting and changing. I know a pastor who shared with me about another pastor in this area who his doctrine has constantly been changing year after year. As the pastor, he can't seem to get solidified about what he believes to the point that it's changing. Paul says, the church has been designed to equip the saints to do the ministry. The word has been given so that you can grow up in the faith so that you're not tossed to and fro back and forth by different doctrines. So God expects us to grow up. He expects us to be stable. These are reasons why the word should be a priority in your life. Number three, godliness will escape me if I don't. If I don't make the word a priority in my life, godliness will escape you. If you want to be a godly husband, a godly dad, a godly mom, a godly wife, a godly friend, a godly fill in the blank, you have to be in the word. You are not going to be a godly husband or a godly wife if you're not in the word. You're just not. Scripture always connects godliness and the word together. Let me show you. Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. You can turn with me if you want to. Um, 
says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. And he's not talking about worldly success. He's not saying if you spend time meditating on the word that your business will prosper and all these things will happen good in your life. He's talking about spiritual success. He's saying, if you'll do this, children of Israel, as we try to go into the promised land and reap all the the, the blessings that God wants to give us, if you'll do this, if you'll just spend time meditating on God's word and knowing what he wants you to do, then things are going to be really good in the promised land. Now, if we don't do this, we're going to end up being slaves of every country that's in this land. And that's in, that ends up being what happens. The children of Israel don't meditate on the law. They don't meditate on God's word. And they don't prosper spiritually. They fall into sin. They fall into idolatry. But Joshua says, meditate on the word and you'll prosper. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. A, f- a familiar passage to us about the importance of being grounded in the word. It says, blessed is the man who walks not... In the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In our roundtable discussion, somebody threw out the fact that, hey, we've got to be in the Word because we're being subjected a lot of times to the world's teaching about things. You know, if we spend time watching TV, which we all do, if we spend time watching movies, which we all do probably, We spend time being subjected to the teachings of this world and we're not prioritizing the word. Then we're guilty of what Psalm says. We're walking in the counsel of the wicked. We're standing in the way of sinners. We're sitting in the seats of the scoffers. We're being instructed about life through the world. The word has to be a priority because it instructs us about how to live. Psalm 1, we'll skip to Psalm 119, 1 through 11. This is the verse that uh, my sixth graders are memorizing. Well, we memorized it last week. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Oh, keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He says, the way that I seek God is that I don't wander from his commandments. I'm in the word. I'm spending time in the word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I encourage you to read through these other passages that I've given you. Godliness will escape you if you're not in the word. You will not become a godly man or a woman if you do not prioritize the word in your life. Number four, others need a godly example to follow. Bringing it back to the discipleship thing. Others need you to be godly so they know what it means to be godly. New believers in Sonoy are going to need a church at Sovereign Hope to be full of mature believers so they know what they need to do. How do they follow Christ? They can imitate you is our goal. We want them to be able to imitate you. Not the pastor, not the, not the elders. We want them to be able to imitate everyone in our church. 
Question number two. So that's, that's, some, that's some real quick, like, here's what the Word says about why we should prioritize the Word. Question number two. How can I make the Word a priority? How can I make the Word a priority? Number one, we rely on the Holy Spirit. So often you hear people say, I just don't understand the Bible. Like, that's why I don't read it and study it. Like, I, I just don't understand it. And we don't realize what we're saying. Because to, to, to really mean that, to really say, I'm not capable of understanding, is to say that you're not a Christian. So we need to be careful in our wordage there. It might be difficult for you to understand the word. It might be hard for you to understand the word. But to say, I can't understand the word, is, is honestly to say, I'm not a Christian. The Holy Spirit's not living inside of me. Look what um, 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14 says. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That's the Holy Spirit. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, or the lost person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to Him. He's not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. You can't really understand the Bible and understand how to apply it into your life without the Holy Spirit. That's why people will try to follow Christ... And then they fall away because they were never saved. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They couldn't persevere in the faith because they weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's why people can try to study the Bible, but it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't doesn't translate into everyday life. The Holy Spirit's not illuminating that for them. So as Christians, we can rely on the Holy Spirit. Number two, determine your goals. Now, now we're using these as, as ways to kind of move you towards a, a, if you want to call it, quiet time or personal study time in the Word. Because we said, in order for you guys to grow up in the seven things that we listed above, knowing the gospel, knowing who Jesus is, understanding sovereignty, committing to the church, all these things are going to be a result of your time in the Word and learning in the Word. So we want you guys to, to be having quiet times or devotions or, or whatever you want to call it. We don't want to give you strict standards and guidelines. It has to be this long. It has to look just like this. But I want to help you develop your own plan for what works for you. All right, so number two is determine your goals. It helps for you to think about where do you want to be spiritually in six months? Where do you want to be spiritually five years from now? Think about where you want to be spiritually, and then you start developing a plan of what's it going to take to get there. I remember, um, most of you know John Wallace, who was roommate in college, best friend of mine. When we took the youth to uh, Panama City for a missions trip, there was, a, there was um, a time where we were watching these guys and girls play volleyball. And there was this dude that was just like, He's just really in shape. I mean, like, he's the type of guy, like, he looks forward to going to the beach because it's time to take his shirt off. And he's like, he looks good. Where others of us are like, oh, beach time, like, I need to find a swim shirt to, to, I don't have to take my shirt off. I mean, this guy, like, thrives on beach time. And this guy was just ripped. And me and John were looking at him, we were like, I made a comment, I said, John, what would it take for you and me to look like that guy? Like, what would it take? 
And John looked at me and he said, a drastic change in our lifestyle. I mean, a drastic change. And I was like, you think we could look like that by next year? He was like, no. He said, I mean, drastic change in our lifestyle that we're not capable of. Like, now, now, we can take someone like that and say, okay, physically I want to get to the point where I look like that. And we can start to develop a plan to, okay, I'm going to start drastically changing my lifestyle to where I can look like that guy in maybe five years, ten years, or whatever. But it would start with me making a plan. What's the basic, what's the basic, um, the basic philosophy behind losing weight? What do, you, what do you have to do? I mean, all these Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, they're all based around what concept? A lifestyle change that means, what do you, at the, at the core basic, what do you have to do? You have to burn more calories than you're taking in, right? Like, in order to get rid of the excess, I've got to burn more than I take in daily to get caught up. So you can take that basic premise of, okay, I've got to do that if I want to look like that. And then you can develop a plan about how long that's going to take. Now, you could really cut down on the amount of calories that you're taking in and really speed up the amount of calories you're burning and get to looking like that guy a lot quicker. But you could come up with a philosophy that would say, in 20 years I'm going to look like that guy because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start burning more calories than I'm taking in, but I don't want to get too crazy, you know? So it's going to take me 20 years to look like that. It's the same spiritually. We can look at it and say, okay, I want to know the gospel. I want to understand sovereignty. I want to be submitted to King Jesus. Well, do you want to, you want to have those things true in your life five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now? What's your plan? What do you want to, what do you, what goals do you want to set for yourself spiritually? And how are you going to develop a plan to get there? I'm trying to set the goal for you. I think these seven things need to be really developed in your life. And they can be really developed as you make the word more of a priority in your life. So number three, once you've determined your goals, develop a plan. Develop a plan. Now I want to give you some suggestions that you can just kind of jot down things that stand out to you. I'm going to give you um, just some thoughts that I wrote down. As you're developing a, a plan for how to spend time in the Word, it helps for you to answer the question for yourself, what do you recognize that you need to know more about? This is, this is usually what I do when I set out to study in the Bible. What do I need to know more about? A few years ago when we were doing Winter Retreat, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what, what do I want to teach the youth on winter retreat? Well, I don't, know, I don't know anything, really, about the second coming of Jesus. I should, but the book of Revelation and end time prophecy, that's, that's such a blur to me. Okay, that's what we're going to teach on. I'm going to study that like crazy. I'm going to try to comprehend that, and I'm going to teach that. I recognized something that I did not know about in the Word, and I went into a process of trying to learn about that through the Word. What, are, what, are, what, are, what, is an, what is an area where you say, ah, I need to know more about that. I need to know more about that. And then as you answer that question, you select a book of the Bible to accomplish that goal. See, I'm not going to advocate necessarily topical studying of the Bible. I think, I, think, I think there's a place for that. There's times when I do that. I think the best method for studying the Bible is going to be a verse-by-verse study method because you're going to understand the word in context a whole lot better. But thankfully, there are themes in the books of the Bible. I mean, if you say, I need to know more about assurance of salvation and what it means to be a Christian. 
Great, you should study through the book of 1 John. They didn't understand how to respond to trials and temptations. Great, maybe you want to start in the book of James. See, the, the, the books of the Bible are written with a theme or a topic in mind a lot of times. You don't have to study a topic over all 66 books. You can, you can invest yourself in one book of the Bible. Now, again, you don't have to be doing this every single day for an hour or two hours. But this is a way for you to start moving in the direction of making the word a priority. The third thing that I would tell you after you've answered the question, what do you need to know more about? After you've selected a book of the Bible to accomplish your goal, get a notebook or some form of writing down what you're learning. Now, I've brought my, I've got some resources up here that I'm going to let you come up here and look at at the end. I brought my notebook from when I did my personal study on the book of Philippians and then taught it to the youth group at Mount Gilead over the course of two years. Now, I've brought my notebook so that you can look at what I do and how I've set up my personal study notebook. I mean, it's not, it's not anything crazy. I just start writing notes as, as I'm learning things that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing in the verse, things that I'm reading in commentaries that are standing out to me. I'm just writing these down in this notebook. And what's so great about this is that essentially this becomes my own personal commentary. So that if I have a question about the book of Philippians... I don't typically go to other commentaries now. I just go straight from my notebook and look up that verse and remember the things that I learned about that passage. Okay? So if you want to look through this at the end, you can look through that and see how I kind of set mine up. The reason I would encourage you to do this, why would I encourage you to do it? Why would I encourage you to write down what you're learning? Anybody? So you can retain it, but go one step further. So you can teach it. We're talking about teaching other people how to follow Jesus. You need to learn, you need to learn, you need to retain it for yourself, but you need to retain it for other people because you're going to have to teach them. Because here's the facts, we're not going to go through the book of Philippians anytime soon in this church. Because for most of us, we already went through it at Mount Gilead when I taught it at Mount Gilead. Now what happens when a new believer comes in here and says, I need to know about um, unity for the sake of the gospel. I need to know like, what does it mean to be a part of a church, what does it mean to, to put other people above my own needs, what does it mean to follow the example of Christ? But you can teach them that because you've already been through the book of Philippians. You can teach them about the book that you're going through as well. Next, get some resources to help. These are just practical suggestions to help you develop a quiet time. I'm not going to give you like a method for studying the Bible, really. We're all going to have different personalities and different ways to do it. Okay? Here's some practical suggestions. Though. Answering the question, what do you need to know more about? Selecting a book of the Bible to accomplish that goal. Getting a notebook to write down what you learned. Getting some resources. Commentaries. Sometimes commentaries get a bad rap. Right now I'm on a kick of, you should take advantage of commentaries. Okay? For one, they're provided in this country. Like, it goes back to the fact that we have unbelievable amount of resources. Commentaries, think of them like training wheels. Okay? Long term... You want to be the type of person that can study the Bible, discern right from wrong, discern what the Holy Spirit is teaching you through the Word without having to rely on commentaries. It would be crazy for us to think that, hey, new believer, go sit down and start studying the Word. Hey, can I get some commentaries? No, you should be able to do this without commentaries. Like, just study without commentaries. They're like training wheels. We put training wheels on bikes for kids that are just starting out how to ride a bike. 
Nobody long-term wants to keep the training wheels on there, right? Like the goal is to get them off. But you don't make fun of a kid because he's still got his training wheels on, right? Like it's, hey, you know, he's progressing. He's getting better at riding his bike. Commentaries are a great resource for studying the Bible, okay? Um, I wanted to give you like a list of commentaries to, to use, but a lot of commentary series are wrote, written by different authors, some of them better than others. So if you personally want some advice, you, you, know, you come to me and say, hey, I want to study the book of Philemon, or I want to study the book of 2 Corinthians, then I can help you find some good commentaries for that. I can't tell you that I'd recommend John MacArthur's commentary series for all the New Testament books. Now, John MacArthur's commentaries are going to be more devotional than, like, real in-depth. And I think the real in-depth stuff needs to come for you as you progress and mature. These are a great starter commentary. They're, they're, they're devotional in nature, which means they're real easy to read. But they're going to really help you understand the verses that you're studying. They're going to provide additional insight. And here's the major advantage for these. John MacArthur and these other guys that write commentaries, they know Greek and Hebrew most of the time. I don't, you don't, okay? They know the original languages, which is going to give you more insight than you can personally get on your own because you don't understand the original languages. Okay? Commentaries, ESV study Bible, um, great resources to have. Next, I would tell you to study the book slowly and prayerfully. There's no hurry. You're not a champion because you got through the book of Philippians in less time than I did. Like, the goal is not to speed through and speed read and speed study. Like, sit down and study it. You know, Brody, the guy that leads Snowbird Outfitters that we're supporting, um, he spent seven years in the book of Romans. That's a long time. But his knowledge of Romans is really good. Like, he really knows the book of Romans. He spent a lot of time studying. He went through it real slow. It's not a race, okay? Study it slowly. Um, I put down determined to know what you're reading and studying. How oftentimes do we do we read and then immediately we, we couldn't tell you what we just read? But that, that's what happens a lot of times when we when we buy into this concept that I'm supposed to be in the Word 30 minutes a day or an hour a day. Is that we get up, it's not really a priority, but it's like, okay, i got to do this. I'm going to read because I'm supposed to read. But then if I were to ask you, what did you just read? You'd be like, I don't know. I experience this all the time with my sixth graders. We'll, we'll, read, through, we'll read through a passage, and then I'll try to give them like a, a practice quiz reading comprehension. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. All we read was two pages. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're acting like this is a totally foreign question. So often we read that way. The notebook helps you retain what you just read as you're writing down thoughts and, and, and things that the Holy Spirit's teaching you. And then lastly, what I would suggest is to meet with others to share what you are learning. Meet with someone else and hash out some of the stuff that you're learning. One, that gives you an opportunity to teach somebody what you're learning, but it also gives you the opportunity to learn better about Bible study is maybe they help you see some stuff that you didn't see. If we let it, Bible study will spiritually bind us as a church. If we allow the word to become a priority in our life, and then we bring other people into what we're learning and studying, it'll spiritually bind us to where our conversations can still be about football, 
can still be about hunting or fishing or outdoor stuff or um, sorry, all those illustrations were what guys talk about. Um, child care. Child care. Like, anything else girls talk about? <laughs> our conversations, shopping, our conversations will go beyond those type of things and, and spiritually we'll begin to be bound together to where our friendships aren't just because of, of social things that we have in common, but because of spiritual things that we have in common. Okay? Some other things that I want to provide for you. Um, that we're wanting to do as a church. We've been talking about the, the Sovereign Hope Church Library that we want to make available to you guys. This is going to be a unique thing because it's going to be straight online library. Meaning, what we've done is we, we're taking books that all of us own. We've made a list of all these books. And we're going to start making them available to you on the city. Now, if you don't have a city account and you want a city account, then you can see Ben right over here in the blue shirt. And he can set you up with that. Essentially, what we're going to do is make this a book exchange system within our church. Because as we try to grow up in the faith, and, uh, you know, I would add this to you developing a study plan. When you pick a book of the Bible to study, bring in supplemental books to help you in that study. So, like, if I, when I was studying the second coming of Jesus, spent time in First and Second Thessalonians, but I also read books on the second coming of Jesus. So you read books that go along with what you're studying in the Bible to enhance that study. Okay? So that's what the library is going to be for. We want to provide you resources at no cost, because there's no reason for all of us to go out and buy what is the gospel, unless we just all want a copy. Plenty of us have this book, and we can share this book through the online library system. Jessica Boer is going to be in charge of the library. She's going to be the point person for if you want a book, you go to Jessica. Jessica works it out to talk to Luke. If Luke owns the book, Luke gets the book to Cortland who wants to borrow it. Jessica will oversee that whole process. We'll have the list of books on the city. You can contact Jessica and say, hey, I'd like to check out what is the gospel. Jessica will say, great, Luke owns that book. I'll make sure Luke gets that book to you. And then you'll get it back to Jessica. She'll return it to Luke and someone else can check it out. The way we're going to do the library is basically we want to give you resources to go along with the seven things that we're asking you to grow up in. Okay? Back in your notes. Knowing the gospel. Good theological understanding of Jesus. Believing in sovereignty. We want to give you resources to help you grow up in that area. So the library gets launched with books that are strictly about the gospel. Okay? We've got ten books. Ten books on the gospel that we're adding to the library that will be on that initial list. In addition, just so you know, I'm working on compiling a, a, a list of 20 books that I personally believe every Christian needs to read. Um, I'm almost done with that list. Some of these books are on that list. Those range from all different topics. I'm going to publish that to you guys. I know some of us love to read. Some of us it's a struggle to read. So I'm trying to narrow it down and say, okay... If you're on that list of people that it's hard for you to read and you don't enjoy it, here's 20 books for you to try to tackle in your lifetime about Christianity and following Jesus. Okay, real quick, 10 books on the gospel. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. This is a really short book, all about the gospel, all about sharing the gospel with other people. It's excellent. This is on the top 20 every Christian should read too. What is the gospel by Greg Gilbert? 
What I love about these books is they're all about the gospel, but they all approach it from a different angle, which means you're not repeating a lot of the information. You're seeing it from a different perspective each time. Um, Basic Christianity by John Stott, another short book to read. Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in uh, the D.C. area. Finally Alive by John Piper. This is uh, heavily focused on the doctrine of regeneration, how the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the goodness of Jesus and then how we come to Christ. Um, Saved Without a Doubt by John MacArthur. This book focuses more on the aspect of understanding the gospel so that we understand that we can't lose our salvation and understanding that we are saved. Because to understand the gospel is to understand security in Christ. Okay? Um, this is an excellent resource for that if you've ever encountered people who've doubted their salvation. God is the Gospel by John Piper. This one I've already referenced to you. This also goes along with a theological understanding of Jesus. It's Jesus the only way to God. Must you hear the Gospel to be saved? This is an excellent resource as well about uh, what happens to people who've never heard of Jesus. Why is Jesus so necessary in our message of the gospel? Death by Love by Mark Driscoll um, provides a, a different perspective in that it takes real-life stories and shows how the salvation of Christ applies to those different tragic stories of sin and um, tragedy. And then the book that I'm actually starting to work through right now is called Gospel by J.D. Greer. This is actually John and Amy Wallace's pastor in North Carolina. Um, I read one chapter, and it was really, really good. I think another different perspective about the gospel. Um, so these ten books will be available in the Sovereign Library. In addition, in talking about uh, discipleship and us beginning to teach other people about following Christ, most of you guys know that I've been working on a discipleship um, plan of taking a young believer all the way to mature believer. Like, what does a young believer need to know to become a mature believer? So I've been, I've been investing a lot of my time over the past couple of years developing a discipleship plan because my goal is to develop a plan that I can give to Jake and say, Jake, here's everything that you need to take a young believer to mature believer as far as what they need to know and how to teach it to them. That's still in the process of being developed. But for some of you, you guys have started meeting with people for discipleship, and you come and ask me, what should we do right now? Like, what, what do I need to teach them? A thing that you can use is this workbook that I've put together called Theology. It's based on um, a systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem. Essentially, it gives you chapters to read on different topics like what is the Bible, what is prayer, what is the atonement, um, gives you different chapters to read in a, in a systematic theology book. And then this is a list of questions for you to work through and answer. So essentially, let's say Jason comes to me and says, Hey, you know, I want to disciple Jesse, but I don't really know what I need to be teaching him. Um, and I don't necessarily feel gifted in teaching and developing my own plans. Okay, great. Jason, you and Jesse could get this book, get this workbook, get the book that goes with it. Y'all can read this on your own time during the week, answer the questions, come together, talk about it together. The whole thing is kind of planned for you. It allows you to talk about the things that we're talking about growing up in our faith without you having to design a lesson to teach a new believer. So this is something that is, is going to be made available to you guys. 
If you have somebody that you're wanting to meet with and you want a copy of this, then you can talk to me and we can get that printed for you. Last thing I want to give out, I'm going to pass these out to you. I'm going to get Ben and Will to pass these out. This is some stuff from that discipleship plan that I've told you about, about how to study the Bible. Some suggestions that you can take to apply to your uh, own plan as you're trying to develop it, as well as a sample and blank personal study sheet that I've used in the past as I try to tackle a certain verse. So they're going to pass these out to you. That's way too much information for us to go through this morning. Um, So I'm giving that to you for you to take home and read as well. All right, almost done. Before Tyson comes and closes us out, one other thing that we've we've done as a church that we want to make available to you guys. If the Word is going to be a priority in our life, and if we're saying that it needs to be the priority in the life of other new believers, then we've got to get the Word in their hands. We came across a website that was doing a deal where you could buy... 240 240 Bibles for $240. You had to buy 240 to get the deal. So we went ahead and purchased 240 ESVs. This is the full Bible, Old and New Testament, which is not normal. Usually when you buy a deal like that, it's just the New Testament. Sometimes they throw in Psalms. Um, This is the complete Bible. What we want to do, one, we're communicating to you that we're serious about building this church with new believers. And so what we're saying is, is that we're going we're gonna to provide you the resources that a new believer would need. So what we've done is, they were boxed in how many? 48. Alright, so there's 48 Bibles that you guys can come and take with you today. Keep on hand, as you come across people in your lives that do not have a Bible, that can't afford a Bible, then you've got Bibles that you can give out to them. We've kept back... Four boxes that we plan to use in our local mission efforts here in Sonoy. Just to give you a quick overview, one thing that we're wanting to do is we're wanting to establish a funeral home ministry in Sonoy with the local funeral homes in this area. What we want to do is we want to go to them. We want to say, look, when you have families that come in here that are not connected to a church, and those of you that have lost people, you know how important a church can be in the time of loss. Church comes in, provides meals, provides a level of comfort and encouragement. If you think about it, Paul says in, in Thessalonians, we sorrow differently than lost people. A lost person who has no connection to a church doesn't have typically someone making meals for them. They don't have people to talk to. They don't have any hope about what's happened in their life. We want to work with the local funeral homes, set up our church to make meals for these people in the time of loss. We want to be able to provide a Bible um, and an opportunity for us to get into their homes and begin to share the, the, the gospel of Christ with them as they're wrestling through a lot of issues about life and death. So we're keeping back some of these Bibles for those efforts as we move forward. But we want you to empty this box today. I want you to take these home, keep them on hand, and give these out to people that you're interacting with, that you're sharing the gospel with, that do not have a personal Bible of their own. Are any questions about any of that that I know we flew through that? Huh? Yeah, I want all those gone today. I want you to take them.
they're heavy. Any questions about Bible study or... We're going to keep talking about this in the coming weeks. We're going to be in chapter 6 next week, um, or verse 6 next week of chapter 1. All right, okay. No, 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 I'm not going to cut you off. How do you feel about reading the Bible? Just know the Bible. Okay. Well, because we've been talking a lot about Bible study, like were you just like leisurely reading the Bible? In big chunks. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think that's a, a a definite benefit and positive in the life of a believer. There's there's a place where you're going to sit down and really digest and dissect dissect a verse. I mean, we've been in verse five for the past several weeks, um, but there's definitely a place for reading large chunks of scripture. A lot of the Bible reading plans to get through the Bible in a year are based around that type of thing. It's going to give you an overall perspective of the Bible, which is really about one thing. It's about Jesus. I mean, the whole Bible is about Jesus. So you're going to get a, a bigger picture of what the whole Bible is about by reading through big chunks. So, yeah. All right, well, I encourage you guys to dialogue on the city about this. We'll have some sermon questions posted this week. Again, if you don't have a, an account on the city and you'd like one set up today, then you can talk to Ben about that. Um, but we're hoping to use that again to further our discussion about this. Um, we want to see you guys grow up in the faith, and we want to do whatever we can to provide resources and opportunities for that. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, um, we'll sing to kind of close it out. God, we thank you so much again that you've given us the word. You've given it to us in a, in a language that we can understand. God, I pray that as a church we would be the type of people that prioritize the word in our life. God, we want to be people who are, are shaping our, our thought process, our decision-making around what the Bible says. We want to be Bible-saturated. And God, we know the only way to be Bible-saturated is to be in the Word regularly. And God, I'm thankful that you haven't imposed um, legalistic-type standards about you got to do it this way, you got to spend this amount of time each day, or you're not doing it right. God, I thank you that you give us the freedom to be mature and to recognize that we need the Bible, and that you've given us the freedom to determine how to get the Bible in us. But God, I pray that we would be mature about it, that we would take responsibility to ingest the word into us, that we would feast on the word. God, that we would be the type of people who, who move beyond milk and are feasting on solid meat. That as the book of Hebrews says, we would grow up in the faith, that we would get beyond the elementary doctrines and we would get into the meat of your word. God, help us to encourage one another in that. Help us to begin meeting with each other about this. That you would begin to, to allow discipleship relationships to happen where mature believers in our church would recognize someone who is, who is still growing and learning and is still young in their faith. And they would take them underneath their wing and say, come follow me as I follow Christ. God, help us to make drastic changes to our lifestyle if need be. That we would really get an idea of where we want to be spiritually five years from now, six months from now. Two weeks from now. And that we would make changes where we need to. To grow spiritually in that direction. We ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen.